My name is Brian Kaler, and I'm not one of those hypothetical Baptists we've talked about. I am a Baptist, and I'm a Baptist minister and a former public university professor. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some comments that were made last week in a hearing by a Missouri House of Representatives committee. And I want to play this for a couple of reasons. One is this is the time of year when our lawmakers are showing up at state capitals across the country. And even though it doesn't usually get as much attention as what happens in Washington, D.C., in many ways what the state lawmakers pass has more of a direct impact on our day-to-day lives than what happens in our nation's capital. And so I think it's really important that we're paying attention. And I want to encourage you to be paying attention in your own capital, in your own state, what's happening, what are the bills that are being pushed, and how you can engage and advocate. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. But I also want to talk about this particular hearing and this particular bill, because not only does the bill deal with issues of religious freedom, and not only is it one that we've seen pop up in many states across the country, but it was also a fascinating hearing to be at because there kept being these questions raised about these hypothetical Baptists and how would they react? And so it was was almost comical at times listening to all the conversations about Baptists as I sat there as a Baptist in the room. And then, of course, decided to finally get up and speak. Now, the bill in Missouri this year is called House Bill 1926. And what this bill would do would provide special rights and privileges to religious student associations. It says that those types of groups could not be denied any benefit given to any other student group. But that type of protection is only given to the religious student associations, not to other groups that could be discriminated against. And it seems to give them a preferential treatment in any type of legal or other challenge that they would make to any decision made against their student association. Again, only for religious student associations. This type of bill has been passed in about 15 other states. And this type of legislation was really a reaction to a 2010 US Supreme Court case. Christian Legal Society v. Martinez. It came out of California and a college there that required student groups, all student groups on campus, to have essentially an all-comers policy. It means they couldn't set up certain requirements like a statement of faith or any type of other restrictions for membership or leadership that would discriminate against other people. So this Christian student group sued for that policy. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court actually said that the all-comers policy was constitutional because it was applied to all student groups on campus. And that is that any group had this exact same rule. So if the university had only targeted this particular group, then it would have been a constitutional violation. It's a complicated case. There's a lot of stuff going into it. 
And so as I was preparing to head to this hearing and trying to flesh out some of the issues, I found it particularly helpful to read some of what the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty had said about this particular case. And so if you're interested, you could Google BJC, Christian Legal Society v. Martinez. You'll find a brief that they filed in the case, their statement about the ruling. And it was really helpful as I kind of formulated some of my ideas about what I thought about this particular bill. And so I decided to attend the hearing to see how the conversation would go. Special Committee for Career Readiness will now come to order. May clerk please call the roll. What I didn't expect was all the conversations that kept erupting about Baptist. First, the sponsoring representative of the bill mentioned Baptist among part of her rationale for why she thought this bill was even needed. Other neighboring states besides Iowa with such a law already on the books include Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Kentucky. House Bill 1926 is designed to protect the current situation in Missouri where student groups like Crew, InterVarsity, Chi Alpha, Baptist Student Unions, Newman Centers, and numerous other faith-based clubs of all creeds are free to operate as registered student clubs, while also requiring that their leaders adhere to the group's sincerely held religious beliefs. After she gave her opening testimony, another representative, a member of the committee, raised a hypothetical that also brought the Baptist into play. My worry is... Um, without being very, very clear about what that criteria entails for leadership and that there's no protection for people who are excluded from these groups. So say, so say I'm a member of um, a First Baptist Church group, okay? I was raised Southern Baptist, so I'm very familiar. Mm -hmm. um, so say I'm a member of this group and I start, um, you know, maybe looking into Catholicism. Mm -hmm. um, are they going to be allowed to kick me out? That if if you're saying if you're just a participating member of the group, or or a, as or a leader of leadership, and I or I mean, sorry, so say I'm vice president of the First Baptist Church Students Group, and I start looking into the Catechism of the Catholic Church, because my husband is Catholic, and we did start dating in college, so that's that did happen. Right. But right. would I have been removed from that group against my will? My answer to you is this: the bill looks solely at the integrity and structure of groups that students choose to form to ensure that they are protected and ensure that they have the right to exist even when people disagree with the the whole mission outside statement of, of the, the group. group but not internal to the group and i think that that's where my concern lies later the chairman of the committee who seems quite supportive of the legislation also raised hypothetical situation involving baptist student group the Supreme Court ruled that all comer policies are allowed but not required. And that, I don't think, interferes with what your bill is trying to do because it still allows anybody to go to these groups. If I am Baptist, but I'm intrigued by what the Methodists are saying, your bill doesn't stop me from going to the Methodist group and seeing what they're saying or the Sunnis from going to see what the Shiites are saying. It doesn't stop that. That's, anybody can go to any meeting they want to. That is they can correct. participate in the activities. They can do all that. That's protected. You're, that is correct. You're yes, looking Mr. for Chairman. your voice. It yes. doesn't stop that. What your bill does and what Supreme Court ruling after Supreme Court ruling after Supreme Court ruling has stated, including one against UMKC in the 70s and then the one that SEMO kind of just pushed away uh, a few years ago, was that each group is allowed to elect their own leadership based on whatever beliefs that group is going to have. Within the, the, the group forms, they said, these are our beliefs. 
if anybody can come and learn about it, you can come and disagree about it. But if you're going to lead our group and speak for our group, you have to abide by these beliefs. So in the case of I am a Baptist and I start researching Catholicism, you can research all you want. What are you doing at school? You're researching, right? Right. Now, if you want to try to change the tenets of the group to a more Catholic-leaning, I would say the group has the ability to say that's not in accordance with Baptist doctrine, and you can either abide by what you said you were going to abide by or form your own group. And that's what I was going to say, so that this is, bill supports right. that As a freedom to do yeah. that. There are also a number of witnesses who continue to bring up these hypothetical or these imaginary Baptists and trying to figure out what does this case do or not do? And Because there, there did seem to be some real confusion about exactly what would this change. And then we had a particularly, I don't know, bizarre moment come up from one of the witnesses in favor of this bill, who doesn't seem to realize exactly what a Baptist group statement of faith would be or the requirements for leadership of a student religious organization would be, he seemed to think that maybe Baptists would be all about saying the Nicene Creed. Not that Baptists don't believe in the Nicene Creed, that's just, we're generally not creedal people, and if a confession of faith or a statement of faith has been adopted, that's usually not the one that a Baptist group would implement. But this is the discussion that we were having. The structure of the bill is this. The problem that it exists to solve is this. Typically, the cases that arise are not a conflict over a particular person who wants to be a leader of the group and they're being excluded. What normally occurs is that before you ever get to that stage, a, a new group that's trying to form or a group that exists that is renewing and they maybe on an annual basis have to submit their bylaws. And a university will see that their bylaws require something like to be the president of the Baptist Student Union, you have to say that you affirm the Nicene Creed. And the university will say, you know, that's religious discrimination, and we don't want religious discrimination on our campus, so we're not going to recognize you. And what the universities fail to recognize is that in all sorts of areas of law, it's commonplace to say that faith-based groups can use faith-based criteria to determine who their leaders are. Now, when a, if the government were to say, you know, First Baptist Church, um, all of your pastors have to affirm the Nicene Creed, that's a First Amendment violation. That's the state telling some group to do something. But when the group itself says this is our standard, then there's no First Amendment violation. And in fact, that's never been viewed as discrimination. Faith-based groups using faith-based criteria to determine who their leaders are is not discriminatory um, under almost any law. The problem is that many universities in the country have not viewed it this way. And then a representative for the Missouri Catholic Conference uh, also seemed to be noting, like me, the numerous references to these hypothetical Baptists. And he, even though he was testifying for the bill and I disagreed with his position on it, I appreciate the humor that he brought with this particular moment in his testimony. And I will say, uh, as an aside, I do appreciate the hypothetical Southern Baptists and Methodists looking into the Catholic Church, and I would say that we would hypothetically always welcome you anytime. Uh, so, you know, I, I do appreciate that. And then after four people had testified in favor of the bill, ten people got up to testify against the bill. The first speaker was a Methodist. His wife was a Methodist minister, and he did a fantastic job as an attorney who has dealt with a lot of litigation involving religious institutions of explaining the problems with this bill constitutionally in the law. And he also brought back up 
the Baptist. But legislation like this is being used in other ways. This legislation allows any students, particularly if we, if we expand this, allows any student to restrict access to public funds for all Catholics because they have a strongly held religious belief that isn't in line with the Catholic Church or to Baptists or to any religion or to any race or to students of a certain age or to veterans or to students with disabilities? The answer to your hypothetical is a resounding yes. Most of those who spoke up in opposition to the bill were from the LGBT community, including this particular speaker, who again continued our discussion about the Baptist. I find it really fascinating this bill is about protecting religious student groups from discrimination. That is significantly important. If, if a group of Baptists or Catholics or atheists or Unitarian Universalists want to make a student group, that should be allowed and that should not be, that should not be impeded upon as long as they are, their bylaws are in compliant with university policy and the Constitution, which I hope we can all agree that that's important too. So I got up to testify because I decided it was time for an actual Baptist to set the record straight. My name is Brian Kaler, and I'm not one of those hypothetical Baptists we've talked about. I am a Baptist, and I'm a Baptist minister and a former public university professor. Now, I believe religious discrimination is wrong. And if religious student associations are being discriminated against, there are provisions already that allow them to fight back against that discrimination, something that had come up multiple times during the meeting. And so I think that should be allowed, that if religious student discriminations are discriminated against, they should be allowed to sue. They should be allowed to take whatever action they need to fix that problem. Problem with this bill is it actually, instead of ending religious discrimination, it actually allows religious discrimination by providing special privileges only to religious-based student associations. And so here's just a couple excerpts from what I had to say during my testimony. The problem with this bill, particularly in the form that it is at, is that it has no sense of balance. There are two religious clauses in the First Amendment. And yes, there are, first, there are free expression issues and violations that can occur. And we've heard some examples. And when those do occur, there's already a legal avenue for those violations of a student's free expression rights, free association rights. There's already legal avenues for them to take care of that and to have that uh, solved and resolved. But there's also the No Establishment Clause, and this bill, as written, does create a significant establishment problem by saying that religious groups have special privileges and rights over other groups. And this is, I don't even think it's completely solved by expanding it to belief-based groups, although it would be, I guess, less bad at that point. Uh, if you look at the CLS Martinez ruling, one of the reasons why the all-comer policy was upheld at the university was because it was applied to all groups. Not just all religious groups or all belief-based groups, but actually all groups. And it doesn't have that balance that is needed, not just between those two religion clauses, but between religious freedom rights and other rights that we have in the Constitution, including in the First Amendment itself. And we have to find a way of balancing those as opposed to saying that this one right will trump all others. And so I think the bill is fundamentally flawed. I would urge you to vote to oppose it. Now, I'll admit these are complex issues. As, as I said at the beginning, I was struggling to make sure I understood the bill, that I understood what would be an appropriate balance to the case, and was, was really helped by reading through some of the BJC's thoughts on related issues like the one that this bill is tackling. And, and I hope that that's what we can take with these issues of church-state separation, that we can carefully consider them, 
to try to find that, uh, that balance between free expression and no establishment, between religious rights and other rights. Because it's, it's not always easy, and I think that's important to recognize. I also think it's important that we're paying attention to the bills that are being presented in your state capitals. Across the country this year, there are dozens upon dozens of bills related to religious liberty and church-state separation, and most of them, I'll admit, are quite problematic from a historic Baptist understanding of these concepts. A lot of them are coming from Project Blitz, which has been a national effort to chip away at church-state separation with a number of bills, and we've talked about some of those in previous episodes. And so I want to mention a couple of those, and what I would encourage you to do is, wherever you are, to, to look up your state house and your state senate, and you can usually find a place where you can do a word search for bills. Type in some of these key religious liberty topics. Type in God, prayer, religion, religious, church, and I think you'll find some of the bills that will pop up, and it'll give you an opportunity to add your voice. Maybe that means showing up and actually testifying. That's a little easier to do if you live in or near your state capital. But if you can't, you would have an opportunity to, to write your lawmaker, find your state representative and your state senator, particularly those if they're on a committee, and, and send them a note and say, I have problems with this particular bill. Or maybe, and it would be nice, you'll find a bill that you actually like. And you can say, hey, this is a great bill and here is why. Please vote for it. I think it's important that we speak out, that we speak up, because at these hearings and as they're tracking their emails and their phone calls, it really does make a difference. If they find a bill that's coming up and nobody is offering any opposition, it's a whole lot easier for the lawmakers to say, well, there doesn't seem to be anybody has a problem with this. I guess we can probably support it. But if they're hearing from many of their constituents, if they're hearing from people across the state that are saying there are real problems with this legislation, it will give them pause to think more carefully before they decide to pass some legislation that could create some really significant problems. So two of the main types of bills to look for that are coming out of this Project Blitz effort. The first is bills that are pushing for, quote, Bible literacy courses in high school. So you can often find this by, by searching for the word Bible or scripture. And so if you'd like to learn more about that particular type of bill and why I find it problematic, you can find that in episode 55 on Bible Literacy Bill Testimony. That's episode 55 back on February 22nd, 2019. And then another bill that's coming out of Project Blitz that is particularly troubling and that is popping up in dozens of states. Many states have already passed it, just like many have passed the Bible literacy classes, and many more are considering it this year. And that's the idea of posting in God We Trust in a prominent location in public schools and sometimes also in other public government buildings. And again, I think this is a problematic push that's designed only to chip away at church-state separation and really doesn't do anything to help our educational system and our kids in these schools. And you can find more about that particular type of legislation and why I find it problematic in episode 68 called Project Blitz Bills. That's episode 68 back on May 5th of 2019. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that you find it helpful as you consider ways that you can be a faith-based advocate in your own sphere of influence wherever you live, that we have a voice that we can offer to make a difference for others in our communities. And I really would encourage you to find ways to engage. Thanks for listening to this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty at bjconline.org. There you can find their information about the CLS v. Martinez case, as well as a number of other really helpful resources on Project Blitz bills, like In God We Trust, like the Bible Literacy bills. You'll find information on their site about all of those topics. 
As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. It really does help. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button and whatever you give there will help the production of this podcast as well as our website and our monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you are not a subscriber, you are missing out. Really, trust me, you want to get this quality Baptist News magazine. All you have to do to fix your problem is there at wordandway.org. Hit the subscribe button. If you have any comments or feedback, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.